I get a message from a friend saying, have you seen this? And it was a company in America called Yummy. Obviously someone else had had that shit idea. And they had, they had, they had deep pockets. They had very deep pockets and you could just see it going legal. And it's like, oh no. Okay. Pause everything. So I literally sat in my dining room, head in my hands. What have I done? Hello and welcome to How Not To Run A Business with me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, a podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to work for themselves. Each week, I bring you real, honest, and down-to-earth conversations about success, failure, and how not to run a business, all in service of you living a life you love and achieving your version of success. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of How Not To Run A Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs. Thank you for joining me today and I hope you're doing very well. So first of all, an apology because if you're a regular listener of How Not To Run A Business, you'll notice there was a gap last week where I didn't release an episode. So slappy wrists for me. I had a lot going on. Didn't plan my uh, schedule very well. Just come out of getting married. All these excuses, but basically I didn't release an episode. But I failed. It's okay. It's all good. I'm here. I'm back. And I've got an amazing episode for you. I just listened back to the episode. It's a long one. It's an, it's a whole hour. And it's a fantastic episode. I have known Mark Murphy for about 15 years. Or I met him 15 years ago. He doesn't remember meeting me. I obviously leave such a lasting impression on people. Um, but he, we met when he was working for Virgin Atlantic and I was supplying Virgin Atlantic and we have been in touch recently and was catching up with him in Brighton and he was sharing his story about this uh, ice cream company that he created when he was working at Virgin Atlantic. He'd started a business with a full-time job and it's a fascinating, really interesting journey and story and when he told me about it, I was like, please come and talk to me about it on my podcast, which he very kindly did. There's a lot in here. There's the entrepreneur's story of starting a business and it not going to plan and then him having to exit. But there's also the fact that he was doing this whilst working full time for Virgin Atlantic. Mark's had an amazing career. He started off as a chef. He got to head pastry chef in a Michelin star restaurant and then he moved over into the corporate world and started working with Virgin. He's done some fantastic work at Virgin and then he moved into British Airways where he continues to do some great work. Not only is he an incredibly lovely human being, like really, really warm, wants to help, but he's also got all of his experience. He's very knowledgeable and it's such a great episode. I encourage you to listen to all of it. There's a lot to learn from it. And it's just such an interesting story. And Mark's honesty and openness and vulnerability is just something that's so rare in this world. So I'm very, very proud and pleased to share this episode with you. And so now it's time to sit back, relax and enjoy. So I'm here with uh, Mark. Thank you for joining me today, Mark. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, all good. So thanks for joining me um, to come and talk about um, your your business. Um, so I'd love just to start off. Um, we met. Uh, you, you don't remember us meeting for the first time, do you? <laughs> I found out, but we met. Blushing. Um, what about <laughs> about fifteen? Oh, I can't even remember. It must be at least ten years ago when you were working at Virgin Atlantic when when my business uh, started to supply Virgin. Um, so I'd love you to share with my uh, listeners uh, a, a brief background of who you are, what you're up to, because I, you know, I know all about where you are and, and where you're at now. Um, and we can get stuck into the conversation. But yeah, a bit about you and, and your background over you know, the last 10, 15 years, your career. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, it's an interesting journey, I think, anyway. <laughs> um, so I was a chef for 15 years. Um, I fell into chefing, uh, being dyslexic, uh, didn't do that well at school. So I decided to take the route into hospitality. 
Um, so I spent 15 years cooking, working in some great establishments, some really nice hotels, um, head pastry chef in a Michelin star uh, restaurant. Um, but it, it wasn't very conducive to a family life. My eldest daughter was born and had a weird sort of, didn't really see her much growing up um, because I was always working weekends. So when my second daughter, Pippa, came along, um, it was time to time to look for a different avenue. Um, so my wife just started searching online and I didn't even know at that point that airport lounges existed. I didn't know it was a thing. Um, and so I ended up going to Virgin Atlantic uh, for an interview as more, I'll be honest, it was more of a, I hadn't had an interview for years. So it was a case of let's get out there. Let's get used to interviewing again. You know, I thought I knew that, you know, Virgin would have a robust interview process and screening uh, process. So I just went along to, to get out there, you know, and got the job. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. Um, uh, amazing uh, woman called Claire Bacchus was running lounges for Virgin Atlantic and she came from hospitality. So was trying to look for people from outside the aviation sector who could shake things up a bit and be, look at things a bit differently. And we got on really well. And, and, and I dived straight into this sort of corporate world where actually people were friendly, you know, the kitchen's quite a hostile place at times. And, you know, you just get your head down and you do your 16 hours and it's, it's graft. Um, for me doing nine to five, traveling the world, I learned more in the first two years of Virgin than I did in 15 years cooking about culinary. It was, you know, going to Hong Kong, going to America, going to South Africa. It was great. Um, and then, yeah, I sort of went from there and I did nine years at Virgin. Um, and that led me to then moving on to British Airways uh, for the past three years, um, where I headed up lounges globally uh, for British Airways. But it was it was Virgin where I found my place. It was it was a friendly environment where people were just so passionate about doing the right thing for the customer. And that was the, the DNA of Richard Branson um, shining through. You know, we, we, we all had the, the same North Star. And that's what led me on my journey, I think, to entrepreneurship. You can't help but be influenced by murals of Richard and, and, and things on the wall saying, screw it, just do it. And this sort of slightly impulsive which fed into my dyslexia i'll be honest it was like wow okay so if i've got an idea i can do something with that i can i can present it and i can bring it to life so the gloves came off when it came to a creativity perspective and there was this new freedom where you 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 could the world was your oyster you know it's an overused phrase but it, it, it gave me everything I needed in life from you know, spending time with my wife and children, having weekends off was a novelty, having Christmas off was a novelty. I mean, God, that was, that was a game changer. Um, but I, I ended up sort of spending a lot of time focusing on the art of possible and, and working on the lounge experience and not just around food. That was my comfort zone, admittedly, because of my background. But then it pulled me more into beverage and working with some of the best mixologists in the world. And, 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 and then I suppose the exposure to the world of manufacturing, so volume production, as I'm sure you, you, you hit head on with the cupcake business. Um, you realise the complexity and the challenges and the prerequisites to, to supplying a big business and you become very good at talking to brands, trying to meet them halfway and, and, and say, right, how can we make this work? But very quickly, you know it's going to either work or not because some companies just aren't set up for the scale of airlines. And that's what I think informed me and, and brought to life my hunger to do something for myself, but knowing that it had to be commercially scalable. It wasn't going to be a small, going to the market every weekend business. It had to be punchy. Thank you for sharing that. And the reason, I mean, we've been connected on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I harassed you a few times when, uh, <laughs> when you were working for free. Everyone does work for Virgin. And, MBA. <laughs> yeah, uh, MBA, yeah. Um, and we, we've been talking over the last 
probably six months a year. Um, we'll get on to what's been going on. But the news is out there that you've now left British Airways and you're you're now going it alone. Welcome yeah. to the world of whatever you want to call it, self-employment, entrepreneurship, business ownership. We'll, we'll get into that in more detail um, shortly. And we connected and we met up uh, a few, just a few weeks ago, didn't we? We went down and had a cup of tea, a coffee and Soho House. Very cool. And um, caught up and was connected over the fact also that, you know, you are um, dyslexic and you're very open about that and you're a champion for um, supporting people with dyslexia and also the wider neurodiverse community. And as anyone who listens to my podcast or anything I talk about, I... Uh, was diagnosed with ADHD a few years ago and very passionate about um, supporting the neurodiverse community and uh, championing our needs. And, uh, you know, we live in a system and in a world where uh, it's not designed for us and we're odd and weird (laughs) or whatever people want to call us. You might think of more better words, but, you know, and that's my own personal perspective. And we connected over that. And we got chatting about your background and you were sharing about this business that you started whilst you were working at Virgin. And I was like, wow, I need to have a conversation with you. And I actually have also thought of a third podcast episode, which is talking about food manufacturing from the perspective of a manufacturer, but also from the client side. I think you've got a wealth of knowledge, which uh, I won't hold you to to uh, whether or not you'll have that conversation, but we may have a third episode <laughs> in the bank there. Um, but um, but we but I was very interested in having a conversation because you shared your journey and your story with this business that you created, which we're going to talk about. And I was in awe that you'd created this thing and you'd taken it that far. Um, and and I definitely wanted to have a conversation with you because. I often talk to people that have, they may have created or started a business whilst they're um, working, but we've never really got into that. It's more been about the, once they've actually gone all in with their business and they've left their corporate career or their full-time job and they're now um, running that business. And we tend to talk about that experience. And then, so when I met you and was talking through, I was like, wow, this is a really great opportunity to have a conversation with someone that, was running a business, a brand, created a brand whilst they're working. And that that started and actually finished whilst you were still um, you know, working in a, in a job. And as someone who started a business whilst working as well, but then took it and, and left that well behind. It's a very different scenario. So I'm very interested in having that conversation with you. So um, where do we begin? So tell us about the business because my my I was going to blame my ADHD brain but I'm not I'm just forgetful I've forgotten the name <laughs> um so you share w- what it was um and we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes you know what the business yeah. was and what I'd be interested to sort of understand how it got started to, to, okay. to begin with okay I've just realized that I've, I started this interview saying that I jumped ship from catering spend more time with my family then went and start the business uh, which it doesn't really support that <laughs> argument, but but it'll, it'll all come clear why um, in, in fullness of time. Um, as I mentioned, yeah. you know, working at Virgin, it was an energised environment with someone like Richard Branson, a fellow dyslexic, who extols the virtues of dyslexia and has this screw it, let's do it mentality. It can't it can't not affect you, so. I once saw an interview with him about a startup um, and he said the best thing to do was to start a business while you had a day job paying the bills. So for me, that was like a big green light. It was like, oh, okay, so that's okay. Um, so I started giving some thought to, to what I could do using my skill set and my experience. And one of the things I learned quickly at Virgin was the power of brand. So. Virgin as a brand punches well above its weight. It's globally recognized. When you tell people how many aircraft it has compared to a BA, they are literally shocked. Like it's minuscule, but they they carry themselves in such a way that's so confident and has a presence in the marketplace that you don't question its size. You just you just have a, a, a affinity with the brand. Um, so I wanted to create something with that in mind that was small but punchy, and. 
again, the, the model Virgin came up with was finding a gap in the market, the white space, and just dumping into it with both feet and just messing around with the, the, the preconceptions and the operating models to sort of say it can be done better. So I'm not sure why we landed on ice cream. I, everyone said not to because it's a pain in the ass. You can't just put it in the post. It melts. Um, mm. So, so, but I, I saw this gap and that was, there was no flag carrying British brand. So you have, you had Ben and Jerry's at the time, which is American, obviously. You have Haagen-Dazs, whilst, whilst owned by a British brand, is Germanic in its presentation. And then all the other small British brands were focusing on their location. So it's like fruit from Kent or from the New Forest or whatever. It was very localized and regionalized. And they were going after that local market, the farmer's markets and the sort of, it, 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 was, it, was, it was perfect for them. But I, I had aspirations to do something a bit bigger using my, my, my background. So we came up with an idea to launch a British flag carrying brand. Um, and the name originally was Yummy. That's so shit. Um, but at the time, it sounded like a great idea. <laughs> and it, was, it was. I was trying to be like, you know, oh yeah, let's call it Yummy and, and spell it Y-U-M-M-I. Oh, God. Um, but anyway, we went down that route. <laughs> and yeah, we looked at branding. And, and my wife did an amazing job on the branding. Like, she came across this design called Tangle. And it was like a hand-drawn very graphic design of intricate pencil lines. The designer we used to knock up the packaging hated us because every line had to be turned into a vector file, which took her hours. Um, <laughs> but we, we got there and we, we and then we had to find someone to make it for us because again, going back to my experience at Virgin, you can't just make ice cream at home and sell it. Ice cream in itself is a challenging product because it's dairy and the controls you need for dairy products mm. are ridiculous. Well, they're necessary. But so we had to find a manufacturing partner and we spoke to a few people and it was crazy, you know, like some of the big players, they wanted a million pound minimum turnover annually. And if you didn't hit that minimum, you were penalized and you were charged. We couldn't do that. We had a bit of funding. Yeah. I was, unfortunately, my mother passed away when I was 14. So I had some inheritance tucked away and, and. I thought, right, I'm going to drop a bit of that on this. So I had some money, but it wasn't big, like VC investment. And then I mm. came across New Forest Ice Cream, and they just doubled the size of their manufacturing facility. So again, that was something you look for, is capacity in someone's manufacturing so that they can absorb your business. It's not going to push them over their limit and you know create issues. But at the same time, they're looking to expand into that new capacity they've created so i went down and met nikki and chris gemman mm. down at new forest have to give a big shout out to them they're awesome um and the first conversation was okay what you got and i just remember having this yeah. conversation like unloading on them on, on what i wanted to try and achieve and my passion and something just clicked with them they were great and that's the first lesson find a partner that you trust and you get on well with, and they're on the same, they want to help you. The development work they did for us was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, and we came up with five flavors that were very British, um, not crazy quirky, but we had rhubarb and stem ginger. We had a sparkling wine and elderflower. We, we used um, a local English sparkling wine because that was really starting to ramp up. And we wanted to create a sorbet as well. Um, we did cream tea, mm. which was clotted cream, jam and biscuit pieces yeah so they were they were recognizable but not scary flavors and yeah we wouldn't have got there without nikki and chris they they were fantastic um they shared their many their, their manufacturers for packaging for outer cases that kind of held our hand through the process so mm. we we designed our packaging the day before the packaging run i get a message from a friend saying have you seen this? And it was a company in America called Yummy. Obviously, someone else had had that shit idea, and they had they had they had deep pockets. They had very deep pockets, and you could just yeah. see it going legal. And it's like, oh no, okay, pause everything. Mm. And 
I suppose that's lesson number two, and that is when you hit a hurdle in when you're starting a business, you see it as a, a hurdle that maybe a few other entrepreneurs would fall at. And if you can just jump it and keep going and keep plugging away, then you will get to the end. You just have to believe in that journey. So I literally sat in my dining room, head in my hands. What have I done? And I glanced up at this book. I have a whole room of cookbooks. Um, that was like my library for my culinary days. And there was a book someone had given me a while ago called Cod and Country. And it just sparked something in me. And I thought, oh, that's quite a nice play on words. What about cream and country? Mm-hmm. And it was like one of those moments. Mm. It was like when you think, oh, okay, that's cool. That's nice. Mm. That's cute. So yeah, I had <laughs> the learnings from Yummy was use a trademark lawyer. Yeah, use someone whose job it is to check the yeah. market and find out for you if a name's available. You know, so the first two stops mm. are always for me trademark lawyers, and then a domain name checker because if you can't get the .com or .co.uk, yeah. you're kind of screwed. Um, and so yeah. I phoned this guy and I, I explained what we were doing, and he was really helpful. And he goes, "What's your name?" And I said, "Cream and Country." And he kind of went, "Not a chance." Not a chance. I'll check it right. anyway. And apparently, I don't know much about it, but there's two systems they check. One's the UK database and one is like a, a worldwide database. I could hear him tapping away. And there's this like pause. And, and he, he kind of went, oh my God, it's available. I don't believe it. And mm. it's like, right. So then he starts tapping away yeah. again on this global database. And he was like, I, I can't believe it. There's no one's using cream and country. So that's the name stuck, and that's mm. where we sort of started the journey. Um, but then the real work began because then you're putting money into packaging, you're putting money into outer cases, your storage, production runs. It's all very exciting, you know, to go down see your see your products, and then it kicks in. I've actually got to do this now, um, and that's when it got very real. And when you've got a day job, you have to be all in. There's no half measures. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I got to the point where I, all my weekends were used up running around pitching or, or going doing pop-ups at Old Street Tube Station in London, you know, trying to see the right audience and, and get the product on the lips. Um, and we made some silly investments, you know, and this is all about how not to run a business. We should go there. Um, I bought a Land Rover. Yep. What was yep. I thinking? Like it was... Yeah, we're an ice cream business. I needed, I need, I had, I'd bought a freaking huge freezer trailer, like for moving all my my empire around the country, doing events. Um, yeah, and you just think, what this is becoming? It's all about like the look of the brand, and it was about the brand. Let's not like, beat around the bush. You know, the brand had to stand tall and punch above its weight, but you ended up with these assets, I suppose you'd call them, which, which are costing you money. And yeah. <laughs> the freezer trailer was hilarious because um, I didn't know the difference, like different types of freezer trailer, right? So I went online, I bought this trailer, got it, picked it up. And I thought, well, how does it keep everything cold? And what it was, was one of these event ones, which you drive to a field or an event, you plug it yeah. in for 12 hours and then it's cold, right? It's not for transporting yeah. stuff. So what right. did I do? I went and bought a massive generator, like, and then got a mate who's a welder <laughs> to weld a, a, like a frame onto the the tow bar of this um, trailer. Yeah. So when I wanted to go somewhere, like I'd drive down to the New Forest to pick up stock. Literally, I would load the generator, plug it in, press go on the generator. And the noise, it wasn't even a silent generator. Yeah. It was like the fair was coming to town and off we'd drive. But we put the music on so we couldn't hear it. But you're driving through little villages in the new forest where people are trying to have their cream teas, <laughs> relax. And then we come yeah. through this bloody big Land Rover trailer with a generator on. Um, and the same in London. We did London Fashion Week uh, with Sadie Clayton. She was she had a show in, in, in London. And we went along as a as a, another British brand to support her, and again driving through the centre of Soho with a trailer with a mm. generator running, <laughs> turning heads, it's like wow. 
I don't know yeah. if that was a good thing for the brand because the trailer was wrapped with Cream and Country and the tangle, it looked awesome. So yeah, I don't know whether yeah, that was yeah. a good thing or a bad thing, but you know what? You do what you have to do. Um, and we learned, that's the thing. Again, hurdles, you learn. So I soon realised that actually a small chest freezer could fit in the back of the Discovery and a little battery and a converter to make it into a plug-in. Like a, uh, I can't remember what they call it now. It's like um, a recreational battery converter or something. And you just literally put the freezer mm. in the back of the car. That was enough. Uh, oh, so you learn. You roll. Yeah. So the trailer soon yeah. just became, sat on the drive and annoyed the neighbours running all day long. The, ne- the next step was, for me, was the excitement of getting a new product in front of people. And you'd literally mm. walk into a room. I had this little freezer, like plug-in like freezer uh, box, like a cool box that would keep the stuff cold so I could be mobile. And I was with Ian, my best mate. He's an amazing chef. He was one of the partners in the company. And we went to Excel to some like event, like Olympia or, some, or one of these big events for you know, hospitality and, and mm. food and drink. And we'd arranged to meet this lady who had been told was like the oracle of ice cream. She knew the market. And so we took our samples along and we rocked up there. Not knowing you can't just walk into the XL with samples because people have paid thousands to have their stall mm. there. And we're just you know, cruising around yeah. our little cool box, handing it out. And, and <laughs> again, you do what you have to do. But this lady met us and it was like some cloak and dagger. You can't be doing this. Okay, well, we're here now. Right. Like, we're, not, we're not rule breakers. We're not anarchists, but we just don't know what we're doing. Um, and she sat down with us yeah. and she said, what's your overrun? And we looked at her like, uh, yeah, what's that? And she said, and she literally turned around to us and said, if you don't know what Overrun is, you can't be in the ice cream game. And she stood up and walked away in disgust. And we were like, well, that's friendly. Wow. Okay. Um, we soon found out that Overrun is the air that gets put into ice cream. So the more air you have in ice cream, obviously there's product you have, therefore the cheaper you can go with it. And that's why crap ice cream melts fast and is very light and fluffy, whereas the good ice creams are dense yeah. and heavy because there's more cream and product in them. So we went through that sort of journey of learning and realising we need to know our stuff. And then we would go and have a meeting with, I don't know, a garden centre or a cinema group. We partnered with um, a couple of cinemas and... You see their eyes when you walk in and they're like, oh, what we got next? And it's like, oh, it's an ice cream brand. And they roll their eyes. And for me, the proudest moment mm. was when you go, okay, and you get the product out. You start talking about the brand and it's not just some farmyard product. It's different. We used a fashion photographer for all our imagery on the website and social media. So it wasn't your average like pot of ice cream with a few berries scattered around the outside. It was much more edgy than that. And they would, oh, you see that their, their mm. interest would be you know, piqued. Um, and they'd try it and you see them, oh yeah. my God, this is really great. So we knew we had something. And, and one thing I always did, and again, this is this is like such a waste of money, but at the time I thought it was super cool, was I just got my Mac and I could create hardback books on my Mac. So I would do a bespoke book for the client with their branding on the front, with our imagery, talking about the brand and the flavors and everything. And... Who doesn't like love something Apple, right? Um, so you'd hand them this book at the end of the presentation. And yeah. They'd probably just put it in the bin. But I felt great doing it. And I felt great paying 30 quid for it. <laughs> you know, it, was, it seemed like such a great idea. Yeah. And that's when I realized, you know, what, what is it they say that, that um, turnover is vanity, but profit is sanity. And you realize that yeah. all the nice stuff, you think you're doing the right thing. Actually, all the nice stuff means for nothing unless you're making money. And mm. we got to a point where um, the business was being run into the ground. And that's quite hard for me to say because that's a failure on my part. I took some of my, my family's hard-earned money. You know, it's scary. And I felt like I flitted it away. And I felt so guilty. Mm. Um, because I could have just sat on it mm. and, and I wanted something better for my family you know, mm. that, that, that working nine to five for another company is great and the security is there but you're never going to have a step change in your lifestyle or get, you know provide your kids with a better start in life 
So that was the mission, that was the goal. And I, I just felt so guilty that I hadn't achieved it. And, and what we've done basically is not had the balls to spend money when you had to spend money. So I saw mm. the pot as a big stack of cash and it's great. And I saw a selling product, but yeah. I wasn't checking the margin. And, that, and then you were paying for storage because yeah. you had minimum runs. So your money was slowly de- depleting. And then that makes you think, shit, I better spend less. Mm. What I should have done was got a, ma- a yeah. sales manager on board. I should have gone deep and just got a sales manager, someone to burn the shoe leather, nine to five, get out there, push the product. And we mm. didn't. We, we, we did take on someone, uh, Michelle, she was fantastic, but she was part-time, just helped out where she could with events and going and meeting prospective clients. But we could never pay her properly. And that was, yeah, it was a shame. And I now, if I do it again, which I'm hoping to, we'll come on to that later, I'm sure, but I would always team up with someone with a commercial background. Brand, product, I'm, I'm good, I think. I, I can handle that. But commercial yeah. is a whole different ball game. Ball, ball game. And you have to know when to spend, when to hold, where the best money is spent to get the best bang for your buck and grow the brand. And that's the bit we we just yep. sucked at, really sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Mark. And being honest, you know, <laughs> and sharing your, you know, your honest truth, which is, which is hard, which is hard for people to admit. Who wants to run around sharing vulnerable failures in life i mean it's not like on the top of the list of things i like to do when i get out of bed in the morning um I, I think, but it um, takes think, courage look, to do that and it adds yeah. i think what's really important is a reality check and it's kind of right what am i doing this for what's the benefit what's the long-term long-term benefit is it is the juice worth the squeeze at the end of the day i mean we i'll never forget the day driving back from work from the airport getting the phone call, coming off the slip road with the M25 on the A24 and getting the phone call to say you've been listed in Cool Brands tw- uh, 2015. Like, can okay, I just so say something? Go on. You... Sorry, I was just going to say, guess where I got the call to tell us that we were being listed for Virgin? Who? In that exact same junction and I'm not fucking kidding you. <laughs> Really, must be something about it, man. It's like seriously triangle. (laughs) There's nowhere to pull over. I just had to pull over and get excited. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, that was so bizarre when you said that. I was like, I'm not joking, because I remember very clearly when it happened and where it happened, and it was, it was in the same area. Weird. Anyway, it was was, was one of those moments where you kind of, it's one of those moments where you kind of, you think you've made it. You're like, okay, so cool brands in theories, top 200 coolest brands, and how the hell they measure cool, I don't know. But, um, and it makes Mm. me shudder that word now, but, you know, to be listed in there was a a big achievement for a six-month-old brand that kind of was a side job, you know. We we, we just followed our heart. And then we did a, we were going to do some funding. I never got into that. It was just um, so complex, and that's something you need to give a lot of time to and, and focus. But, we, we created a video with our other partners and we had the CEO of Cool Brands come down and he was so um, complimentary about Cream and Country as a brand. And he actually gave up a slot on morning TV to talk about the economy um, to come and do our, our shoot, which was really lovely. And, and wow. again, you sort of start to believe your own Kool-Aid. You know, you think, oh yeah, this is awesome. And then you get listing with a national distributor you think you're made like where do i order the porsche and you just realize yeah. that everyone has their own agenda everyone is out to make their own money there's no free hand in this in this process um it's a slog which is fine as long as the rewards yeah. are there to make it worthwhile um which in the end on this on this project yeah. they won't yeah and it, and there's a lot there's a lot that you that you shared you know you identified that you are you had strength in the product and the brand development and I'm sure working at Virgin and being exposed to the top quality brands that you know Virgin uses and also be at well you weren't at British Airways at that point but you know you were you were good at that creating that 
and you identified that there's a lot of areas where you weren't strong you know you didn't have that strength and look you know you're sharing a story that is very similar to mine and it's very similar to a lot of people's you get a big break of some form and then all of a sudden you suddenly think that you've made it i i that happened to us when we when we got virgin i was i was spending money like nobody's business you know sending my parents off they were going to florida for a two-week holiday i was like oh if i business class it cost like thousands of pounds <laughs> i mean it's an absolutely ridiculously stupid decision to make so early on but you know that i'm not going to beat myself up and I'm, i hope you don't that we, we make these decisions because we think they're right at the time and our ego and our sense of you know um delusions of grandeur run away with us and we end up making all these decisions because we're excited and it's understandable but two things that you mentioned which which you highlighted as um things that you learned and mistakes that you made which i talk about all of the time and for me it's very important that the clients that i work with is about building a sustainable business and taking all of the lessons that i've learned and i see people you know mistakes people making um and and putting those in as early as possible and one is finances and cash flow and the second thing is getting revenue and money into your business to sustain the business. And if you're not getting those two things right, there's other things, obviously, but if you're not getting those two things right, you're going to wing it and then you're going to end up in a position that you ended up in and that I ended up in. And it's so important for people to, to get that stuff early on when they're building their business. Do you agree? Or I disagree? do. I do. I, I think there's a lot of great people out there who are willing to help. Like, look at Richard Branson. Yeah, he's, he's, he's gone on the record saying he didn't know the difference between net and gross for years. Like, he followed his heart. Yeah. He followed his passion. He got people, he surrounded himself with great people who, who delegate. That's the art of great leadership, I think, is delegation and, and, and finding people. You don't need to be the oracle of greatness. You don't have to be able to do everything. That's you know how. That's how you become a great leader is to understand the difference between management and leadership and saying I don't know, and look, I, I've done quite a lot of reading since then. I, I, I yeah, I, I had regrets. Do I regret doing Cream Country? Not one bit because I don't believe in regrets. I'm sat here with you now talking about it, hopefully helping other people, making them realise that what they're going through right now shouldn't be a regret either it's brilliant it's it's a journey it's exciting you know what if it goes tits up so what like yeah you might lose a bit of money which is a kick in the undercrackers but you know, ultimately you've given it a go and some people are just built like that some people aren't some people are really happy to to do what they do and that's great that's great but the more i learn now and i'm sure we'll come on to this is around cognitive diversity and understanding your strengths and dyslexia and other neurodivergent uh, conditions. I must admit, I spent a long time, that's why I fell into chefing. I spent a long time feeling shit about myself. I was the thicko at school who had 10 minutes ex extra in every hour for exams um, and was crap at spelling. And you go through life going, well, it's up to me then, because when you step into the corporate world, there's different measurements as to what makes you good at your job. And, and generally, they're pretty static. They're pretty much like Excel spreadsheets and retention of information. But the more you open your eyes and realize that I think it's nearly 70% of all successful entrepreneurs are neurodivergent because they see the world differently. As soon as you start opening your eyes to those things and realizing the potential you have that you have to go knocking on doors to un unlock those, that potential and to learn what you're good at and what you're shit at. And that is fine. It's part of the mm. journey, but you won't find out if you're crap at something unless you go knock on the door and put yourself out there and have a risk. Um, yeah. Would I have been better off just sat yeah, doing a day job? You know, maybe I wouldn't have had the gray hairs and the gray beard. Um, and well, I probably would. Um, I'm getting on now, but you know, I, I, it, it, it <laughs> it was a life experience that I don't regret. And, and thank God my family loved it. They, they really got behind me and never 
You know, I used to get emails from clients saying, why do I get emails from you at two in the morning? And, I, and it was kind yeah. of like, well, I'm on the road all day. You know, I didn't want them knowing I had a, a, a full-time job. I wanted to be legitimate. So I'd be up until two in the morning when the kids were in bed doing emails. And that's what it takes. But um, it's exciting and to own something and to have it, you know, um, your baby. But at the same time, watching it go down, I mean, the, the end of Cream and Country was the point where money was running out. I hadn't. I hadn't been commercially astute enough to employ some sales team. And I started reaching out to some contacts about someone buying it off me. I knew I had something like it was a great brand and, and it had a place and it had potential. I still believed it had the potential to be that national flag carrying brand. And there was a few people, you know, came along and we had a chat about it. But then one gentleman came along, a venture capitalist, and basically took the brand off me. I don't know what I can say, but let's just say I still lost out big. Um, mm. I handed over my baby to someone who was going to look after it. And we kind of stepped back. And then it, let's just say it changed. And the soul and the passion mm. was stripped from it. And that's fine because it's not my money anymore. It's not my brand anymore. It was hard for us to watch. And I had to sit down and have some long conversations with my wife, Joe, about we've got to let go. And that sounds a bit dramatic, um, but it's not ours anymore. You know, not we were all. so tied to it, um, but now it's theirs. And then we just watched it unravel a bit. I'm not even sure where it is now or what it's doing. It might be amazing um, on the underground ice cream market. Um, <laughs> apparently it's a scene. Um, but uh, yeah it, it might be flourishing I don't know um, but like anything you have some you, you, you sort of turn your back on you just have to cut and walk away and every now and then something will pop up on my timeline on Facebook or whatever yeah I still use Facebook I'm old um, and it brings back memories and you think oh wow yeah that cinema pop up in the park in London where you know just watched a big inflatable screen and sold a bit of ice cream. Um, good times, good times. But at the same time, yeah. definite yeah. learnings for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I, I can relate to that Facebook timeline. Yeah. I use Facebook. I am old as well. Um, <laughs> you know, those memories that come up, I have them all the time because I was quite prolific in posting. I see Facebook as my digital scrapbook for me to remember things. And, you know, you have that mixture of sadness, but also joy and you know, that sentiment of just the, the times that you had. And I think you, I know that you shared, sorry, I believe you shared that journey and that story very beautifully because I can relate to a lot of what you went through in creating a brand and it being your baby and you high I think that highlights a really important point which is on one side is create when we create a business and we start a business we have a passion for something and you have a passion for food you saw a potential I think what I what a parallel I drew is I often used to use Virgin Atlantic as a brief when I used to brief um designers or when I was having packaging designed or we were looking at the brand I would often uh, reference Virgin um, because I believe their brand particularly when I was had the business did a really good job of bringing in the best of British and that pride in being British but also and that tongue-in-cheek that kind of sense of humor that we're known for but also fusing it with luxury and sophistication and it did a very good job of that and what i am hearing from your story and what you've said yourself you're very you were very good at is creating a, a really strong powerful brand that had the passion and it was a flag carrier i really admire i love the um the I was going to say audacity, and I don't think that's the right word, but just the courage to have the boldness to create something so powerful and say, I want it to be the best. Like when we came, we had to, um, going back a bit, you were talking about the trademarking. I made the same mistake and failed 
in not protecting our brand name when we first created the business that was called Indulgence Cupcake Company. And we had to change the name actually whilst we were on board Virgin because um, we got a trademark dispute and someone had managed to trademark the word indulgence apparently, which can't be done nowadays, but they'd managed to get away with it. And so we had to change the brand uh, and we chose the name Ray's Bakery. And I was also surprised to learn that no one had trademarked that. Um, which I thought was a really cool name. But the thinking behind the name was that one day I wanted people to re- to um, relate the word raise to bakery products in the same way that Goo Puds is related to, people call it Goo. Uh, innocent dr- you know, drinks is just innocent. You think of smoothies straight away. So I, I think it's that, maybe it's that neurodivergent way of thinking of not not really being constricted by the norms of society and just thinking really big and having a really big vision. I think that's something which I believe a lot of people when they create a brand need to really think about the future and where they want to take it. And then what you shared around the, um, around the brand and that you, you ended up, you know, passing that brand on to someone else and they sucked the soul out of it because at the end of the day, at end of the day, a brand name is just a marker a brand is way more than just a name or a logo. It's the ethos, it's the passion, it's the you know the vision, the mission, what you're about. And often only the brand owner, the person who created that brand, developed that brand, or the people that did, are the ones that actually inject that into it. And Virgin's a really good example of how Richard Branson started a movement and a brand and then it's it lives on even though he probably has very little to do with it nowadays and i think that's a common challenge just one more point is is a common challenge for people when they start their own business and i'm going to have a, a podcast episode about that it's just being very mindful and aware of how intertwined you as an individual get with your brand because I know for me and I don't know if it's the same for you you end up becoming I ended up becoming Ray's Bakery and then when I had to close well when I chose to close the business to separate myself was a lot harder because I associated myself and and everything in me was in the brand and I got it become very personal the, the challenge is that the is, same for you yeah very similar but the difference with me was I had a different persona at the weekends. I was cream and country at the weekends and in the evenings. And then in the daytime, I was Mark Murphy, food and beverage executive. <laughs> so you had to switch between the two. And I had a job to do, you know, which which luckily my, my boss, you know, Matt Callard at the time was phenomenal. And I got all the right permissions. There was no guilt or sneaking around or, or you know, hiding them from it. Um, they encouraged it. Um, but... You, you have to switch between the two because you've got a day job to do and you've got responsibilities. Otherwise, that's when... Because the moment you say, I'm doing this thing over here, people will start worrying about your commitment. And that's a gift and a curse mm. because, because then you're under the spotlight. You're being scrutinised. But at the same time, they really want you to succeed. So you're kind of like trying to give it the right energy. But at the same time, you probably overplay your day job to not only prove you're doing your job, but also to f- say thank you. Like, like, thanks for letting me do this. This is super cool. A lot of companies wouldn't let me do this. Um, and so it, it is about the culture of your environment, the time, the bandwidth you have to give to something and give it your full attention as best you can uh, to make it successful. But you're right, mm. the brand is... When I first started at Virgin, I'd never worked for a brand before. I'd worked in a kitchen for a brand, but I'd never had exposure to that world. And it's one of the bits I've loved about the last 12 years working in aviation is understanding the brand world and how, you know, we we, we used to plan things in the lounges and then brand would get involved and, and change it. It was like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. Here we go. The brand police are coming. And it just dawned on me one day, it's like, they're doing an amazing job. That It's a pain in the ass because I want carte blanche. And I want to do what I want. But actually, they've got a really hard mm. job, and that is policing a brand, maintaining the brand legitimacy across so many different platforms, whether it's web, product, customer experience. That it's all an extension of that, that 
iconic brand. So you have to be all over it. And so the slightest deviation from the guidelines, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen some brand guideline decks. They're pretty weighty you know, documents. And yeah. it's, it's the application of a brand and how you should present it. And, and I suppose I took that experience and put it into cream and country and sort of guarded it with my life. It was like, this is the brand. This is cream and country. I am proud of it. It's championing local producers, but positioning something very different in the marketplace. And I think if you're confident about something, that's why I think um, founder, owner, sort of brands do well, is because the passion that comes through, like Richard starting Virgin Atlantic, it was his passion that attracted the right people to join him on the journey to do something really magical and challenge the market. You don't get that enthusiasm or energy by just doing something, you know, mediocre. You you don't do some you don't attract yeah. great people or great clients by just going, Oh yeah, it's okay. You've got to be invested, you've got to be involved. Yeah. And that's tiring. Like giving a shit is tiring. It is it's I found that in all my roles actually, that I give everything. Mm. And when something doesn't come off, and it could be for any reason, like money or politics or, or brand police. <laughs> It's like a it's like a air brake being put on and it's like ah oh. but you go again and you keep going and you find something yeah. that works and yeah. something that keeps everyone happy and that's the sweet spot is when you find your groove and you know how to work with different people again diverse teams of people with differing objectives some people's roles and objectives don't align with yours and you've got to find a way of making mm. that work and that's the fun part. That's that's mm. the good stuff. Because when you find that moment, everything falls into place, and it's exciting. I do have one last one thing I'd like I'd like to say about like the wrapping up of Cream and Country. I'm a softie at heart, like proper softie. Um, and I remember we were sat wrapping up Cream and Country, and literally the VC had taken the brand. We were closing our bank accounts. We were literally just going through the motions of you know, cancelling the zero subscription. And we had, I think it was a thousand pounds. I don't want to overrate this. So someone can tell me if I'm, I'm making it up or you know, um, exaggerating, but it was a thousand pounds left in our account. That was it. And I took that thousand pounds and I bought two gift vouchers for Nikki and Chris down at New Forest Ice Cream. Cause I wanted to leave the arena on a positive note, I wanted to say thank you. Mm. And I wanted it actually <laughs> makes me quite emotional just talking about it because no, no relationships were damaged in the making of this ice cream. You know, it was like, we, we, we struggled on and we, and we, and we, we kind of, you know, their support was phenomenal. And I think, you know, and the other guys on the team, I haven't even mentioned them. You know, we had like close friend, Glenn, my best mate I went to college with, another amazing chef, Ian. Um, they, they all invested a little bit of money in the company. You know, there was, a, a, there was about five of us. I've made it all about me, typically. Um, There's about five of us, you know, and I was the one driving it and doing a lot of the work. Um, but guys had their their bits to do and, and they, they sort of you know, dipped in when they could. But um, it, it was about relationships and coming out the other end, not bitter and ready to go again. And that is so important. Don't hate the don't hate the game. It, it's it's not worth it. If you're going to invest in it and go for it, enjoy the ride. Accept the the pitfalls. Um, and and unfortunately, sometimes accept defeat. They say that an entrepreneur's first success is their third effort. You know, it's it's that you go through the first two projects learning, and then all of a sudden it all comes together because you know where you're going and what you're doing. And, well, not know, you know better what you're doing. So yeah. I'm about to step into that now, but I wanted to leave the ice cream world and, and the relationships that I had in a really great place because I could go back now, I'd like to think, maybe I'm wrong, but and start an ice cream next week with that team because mm. we we looked out for each other and, and did you know respected the, the relationship. Um, I hope they use the vouchers, that's what I can say, because most of them end up just stuck on a pin board, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> 500 quid i'd be spending that on something 
for sure. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Mark. And um, yeah, it, it, I got, um, I got, I got all the feels a bit emotional when you were sharing mm -hmm. that, just from a you know, relatedness of remembering that process of closing the business down and going through that. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not a nice experience. But I love what you, what you said about not hating the game. Um, you know, I, I know that you've learned a lot about running a business and what it takes and lessons learned right i have a i have a what some might call quite a deep slash controversial question for you um if you're willing to answer you can tell me to fuck off if you want um <laughs> which is um if you if you if you if you could go back in time and you had put the things in place that you know now too which mostly sounds like things like making sure that you spend your money wisely and on things that are gonna generate revenue and actually move the business forwards and also employing uh sales do you think you would have been you would still have that business today and it would be a lot more successful god knows because i don't still don't have the answers interesting like like right okay my my Maybe it's my defense mechanism that's kicking in to say I should have employed a sales manager. Sort of nailing my colors to the mast and mm. being, that's why it went tips up. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe the ice cream was, you know, maybe the brand wasn't strong enough. Maybe there wasn't a big enough market. You know, I, and again, it goes back to that confidence that you have to believe in what you're doing. There's, I wouldn't say arrogance. Some people may, but I, I, I think it's more of a self-belief. And without that, you wouldn't do the hours. You wouldn't send the emails at two in the morning. So would the implementation of a sales team saved cream and country and made it a success? God knows. That, that, yeah, I, I don't know. But no. I thought you were going to ask if I have regrets. <laughs> I thought that's where you're going with this. And the, the answer is... Okay, well, answer that question. <laughs> everything everything well, that's happens good for a know. reason, right? Everything happens for a reason. And I wouldn't be sat here talking to you now, just taking the leap of faith to do something totally different in my life without that journey. And I'm very fortunate now to have a great relationship with my family and the supportive family that I, I, I'm very, very lucky. Um, but, you know, Joe sometimes says to me, like, when are you going to stop thinking about these entrepreneurial ideas? Because you can't go on forever. Oh, maybe one more go, you know, I, I still have this sort of like idea about retiring to Spain uh, and, and buying a little villa and that's not going to happen by doing a day job. So I, I still want to put the, 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 the elbows, you know, grease um, in and go for it. There's still the energy there and the passion. Yeah. Um, and it is round three. Yeah. So who knows? This could be the one. <laughs> So another quick question for you before we wrap up. So what I want to understand is what we have. I don't think we've talked enough about um, you. You're running a business whilst doing a job. I know you mentioned bits about, you know, the support of Virgin, um, which was really instrumental in, you know, having that. But in terms of the doing a day job and also running a business, a, a fledging business that you've started, what things do you think you would on reflection have done differently or put in place to support you because it sounds like that is a monumental feat to, to undertake as someone who did four days a week contracting for waitrose and the head office and have to drive up to bracknell whilst running um raised bakery whilst we were launching virgin so i was doing that seven days a week it was hell but um, then they knew about it. Um, but I'd love to hear from you, like, looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? Any mistakes that you made? Like, because there will be people listening, because this is what this podcast episode about, is they're in your position back then. What would you say to them? What advice would you give to them? Um, hmm, good question. I think time management which isn't my strongest point is really important so don't let the things that are easy to to to, to handle become massive and, and take up your time so for me accounting was a big one i'm not great with complex sort of reporting tools and so i signed up to zero 
and I knew I could do my accounts half an hour, an hour every week, and that was it. So I could put that to bed in my mind and just use the tools out there to make your life easier. I'm sure now there's, when it comes to social media and AI and ChatGPT and, and, and creating online content, there's ways of simplifying it and actually automating it so you can take that off your pile as well. It's about focusing on the things that are going to bring your your product to life and make it live as its own entity. If I'm the right person to give guidance on that, I'm not sure because all I know was you just have to have a great support network and just do it. Just just crack on because you'll find your groove and you'll know instinctively where the energy needs to be put. If you have a gap in your knowledge, find someone to talk to. Even if it's just a, a pint down the pub or someone that's happy to give you. There's so many people out there willing to give their time now. It's it's a new world. Um, and I think people mm. are happy to take a bit of their, their, their time to say, here are my learnings. I mean, look, look at the podcasts. You know, people are happy to share now. It's not, oh, well, I'm going to tell you this and send you an invoice as a consultant, you know. It, it's very it's, it's it's very different and I think find your weaknesses mm. find your gaps acknowledge them and accept them because that's all part of it as well and then ask for help so turn to someone who knows more about it and just get some guidance that that would be my advice yeah. is, is, is ask for help yeah. if you need it yeah that's um very good advice I completely agree it's um yeah it's uh, it's something that I didn't do enough of in my early days and I wish I had of, but there we are. You know, we live and learn. So, yeah, this has been a really great conversation, Mark. I've um, been reminded of a lot of things. I've learned a few things and um, I appreciate your um, willingness to come and, as you say, you know, people on podcast now are willing to come and bear their souls as some people will say and um and it's and it's these conversations that that help people inspire people to realize their dreams to avoid mistakes and to you know and to just have a better life i think that's probably why most people are having these sorts of conversations so what next i'm doing some consultancy um so helping out brands with uh, customer experience design, um, hospitality design, and um, my knowledge of the aviation sector and the, and the luxury hotel arena. So that's that's really fulfilling because I think in the corporate world, so one thing I learned in hospitality and as a chef was it's like the army. You have a career pathway, very simple. You climb the ranks, you, you move hotels, and then you get to exec chef and then you go, yeah, like work in a manufacturing plant or something for your retirement. Um, mm-hmm. Corporate world's very different and it's very hard to actually talk about what you do. It's, it's hard to distill it down into a into a product, as it were. So you pop out the other end and you go, right, now I'm a consultant. Great, what the hell does that mean? What do I do? I'm a chef. Mm. But then when you lump in brand experience, you know, customer journey experience, um, bring it to life in 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 challenging environments like airports actually there's something there and i found that you know that the the people reaching out to me and the conversations i'm having are really exciting so that's that's taking shape Mm. and there's there's another business in the works uh, a drinks business that um i've had in had in the back pocket for about four years that is is around cocktails and and um changing the way we consume them um so that's moving forward but i'm not rushing with that one that's that needs to be done properly this is my chance to do something that i can actually give some proper time to mm. um, so no it's exciting um but as i say it, it's it's nerve-wracking but then i think you get to a point in your life where you go right i've done 15 years cooking i've done 12 years aviation i want the next 12 years 15 years to be really meaningful and actually do something for the greater good and that that gets me up in the morning yeah. at the moment. It's very exciting. So, yeah, it's 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 going to be a journey for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I look forward to uh, watching it all. Um, so, thank you, Mark, for sharing 
yourself and what you've been up to i'll be putting a link um links to how you can get in contact with mark if he chooses to on the um, podcast resource page and um and we'll i I, i'm sure we'll well i I hope we'll you'll come back and have another conversation because there's there's a lot more that we could be talking about um but yeah i thank you very much for your time for your vulnerability for your courage for your honesty for your your journey it's uh, you're a, you're an inspirational human being and um, it's been a pleasure to have a conversation with you thanks joe that's really kind thank you thank you so much for listening in today i hope you've enjoyed this conversation this has been how not to run a business with your host me jeremy jacobs if you like this conversation and you want to hear more then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.